good morning, friends and family. Welcome to Convergent Church. I'm so incredibly excited that you are here. You know, the vision of Convergent Church is that we live in labor to see the day when the city of Owasso displays the kingdom of God made manifest on earth. One of the things we constantly think about is what is it going to be like when this Sunday is the new normal? When the voice of the saints singing about Jesus echoes off the buildings, when we're not worshiping inside, but our entire city is worshiping Jesus. I just feel like this morning is a taste of what's to come. And I'm excited to be here. You know, a few years ago, um, I ran my first 5K. Do you have anybody who runs 5Ks in here? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Does anybody here run marathons? Anybody done a marathon? A couple of people done a marathons? All right, listen, marathon runners, I'm going to need you guys to let the 5Kers have their glory for a minute, okay? All right? You marathon runners, you can tell us how you fought a Yeti running up Mount Everest at lunchtime, okay? Like, but I got invited to run this 5K uh, with some friends, and I, I'd never really run much in my life unless it was away from someone or to the fridge. So that was my context for running. And I was excited. I really wanted to do well at this 5K, so I trained pretty much every day. I got this, this little app called Couch to 5K. It's an app that takes you from basically being a, a, a couch potato to running a 5K. The only problem was I really never got to the end of it where you could actually run a 5K. And so I got invited with some friends, and I get there, and our, our group of friends was there, and I'm kind of in my head going like, okay, I'm pretty confident I can do this, but also I might die. And so I get on the starting line, and um, we kind of ran in pairs, and I got to run with Justin Meyer. Where's Justin at? You out there? Justin's over there. Everyone say hi, Justin. No one's going to like you after this story, Justin. Just letting you know. We were there together. So Justin and I line up on the starting line, and Justin looks over to me and says, hey, just so you know, the way that I run 5Ks is I run as fast as I possibly can until I can't run anymore, and then I stop. I walk a little bit, and then I do it again. And my brain goes, this is going to be really bad. I immediately go, this is not what I signed up for. When I signed that little waiver that says, you know, you're giving your life over to the course, basically, I, I was ready for like a, a, a lively jaunt through the forest, right? And here, I get, I get paired up with the white Usain Bolt. That's what happened. And so the gun fires, and Justin takes off like a puma. Except it's a puma who just shotgunned a Red Bull before he lined up. Like, he takes off so fast. And I'm not one to be left behind, so I'm like, no way. And I'm running, I'm trying to keep up with him. We're running through puddles, we're running through mud, we're running through this forest. And I'm just in my head like, he's not going to cross the finish line before me. I'm not going to let him do it. And the interesting thing is, it turns out that if you run as fast as you possibly can during a 5K and walk a little bit, or if you run at a moderate pace, you end up crossing the finish line at exactly the same moment. One of my fondest memories in my Christian life was cresting the hill at the end of the race and seeing the finish line up ahead of us and literally grunting and screaming because we were so tired to get across that finish line and being able to cross the finish line with one of my good friends. 
So the race went well. We got a pretty good time for my first 5K. I was really proud of myself. I felt I prepared really well despite the rain and the mud and Justin's insane strategy and trying to kill me that morning. We weren't even that close then. We're closer now. So apparently it worked. But what I wasn't prepared for with that race was how insanely thirsty I would be after the race. See, when we got done, we kind of huddled up and the race coordinators brought out like an option of powdered donuts or cinnamon donuts. So great for thirsty people, right? And we had like this lukewarm apple cider, which really only worsened my thirst. And when I got to my car, I noticed I had a can of Coke in there. So I swigged that down. But by the time I got home, I was insanely thirsty. I think I drank about a gallon of water the rest of that day because all my body wanted was some high quality H2O. Shout out to Bobby Boucher, right? And it went on like that for about a week. I was just so insanely thirsty. And it was like I couldn't stop being thirsty. And so I want to start today with this question that I hope I can answer by the end of my sermon. It's this, where can I find lasting satisfaction? Where can I find lasting satisfaction? Today, as we walk through the gospel of John with Jesus, we're going to encounter a woman who has a thirst. The only difference is her thirst is a spiritual thirst that she cannot seem to quench. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the gospel of John chapter 4, and we're going to read the first 18 verses. It says, now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. For us, that's about three in the afternoon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one now that you are with is not your husband. What you have said is true. This is an incredibly important story in the Gospel of John. When we last encountered Jesus, um, 
This was before summer. He was ministering in the city of Jerusalem, the capital of Jewish power. And as typical, Jesus' teachings were ruffling a few feathers. They were causing some trouble for himself and his disciples. So Jesus decides that he's going to leave Jerusalem and he's going to go to Galilee. And this is a long journey on foot. Jesus is a human, so naturally he gets tired and he stops at this well to refresh himself. But Jesus doesn't have anything to draw water up from the well and not one to waste an opportunity to tell someone about the kingdom of God. Jesus turns to the Samaritan woman who's there and he asks her to use her bucket to draw him some water. Now her reaction to Jesus speaking to her is important for us to understand this narrative. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? This woman is utterly astonished that this man, let alone a Jewish man is speaking to her. And what ensues over the course of the next chapter is actually the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with any individual in the entire Bible. This is the longest recorded conversation he has with anyone in all of scripture. So we should pay attention. You see, in Jesus's day, men didn't often speak to women other than to teach or to give directions. It wasn't really a conversational society between the genders. And Jews certainly had no dealings with Samaritans. And a Jewish man wouldn't be caught dead speaking to a Samaritan woman. There was bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. You see, at one point, the northern kingdom of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judea were one country. They were one kingdom. If you could sort of think of upper and lower peninsulas of Michigan, except with significantly less water. Well, at one point, the northern kingdom of Samaria was conquered, and many of the Samaritans were taken and enslaved in the, in the country of Babylon. And when they returned some decades later, those Babylonian customs and the worship of Babylonian gods and little half-Jew, half-Babylonian babies came back with them. And so the Jews looked at Samaritans as sort of these half-breeds, people who were not as holy as them, and they sort of lumped them in with the rest of the undesirables. Under absolutely no circumstances would a Jew ever drink from anything that belonged to a Samaritan. There was no way. Because what that would do is make them ceremonially unclean. It would make them unclean to worship God and to come into his presence. To the Jews, the Samaritans were breakers of God's law. We can sort of think um, whites only and blacks only drinking fountains in our nation's history. They did not mix. And the situation that's unfolding before us was absolutely unheard of. This was likely the first time a Jewish man had not talked down to the Samaritan woman. Instead, Jesus kindly asked her for a drink of water. You see, Jesus wants to show this woman that she has a deep spiritual thirst that can only be quenched at the well of God, and he wants all of us to see this too. And Jesus, being God, he sees this woman's heart. He sees her past. He hears her thoughts. He knows her future. And when he offers her living water, what she hears is, this man is going to give me an endless supply of water, so I no longer need to come to this well and continue to resupply. And when she asks him, sir, where do you find it? He tells her, go get your husband. She replies, I don't have one. And Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands. 
You see, the reason this woman was coming to the well at three in the afternoon instead of earlier in the morning when it would have been cooler is because she had shame over the things that were going on in her life. She had not one, not two, but five failed marriages and had probably given up on marriage, which was why she was living with her boyfriend at the time. So not only is she a woman, not only is she a Samaritan woman, but she's a Samaritan woman who has likely committed adultery once or twice, or if we give her the benefit of a doubt, because there's not conclusive evidence to that, I'm sure that she's at least likely been cheated on and likely abused a lot. Now, I don't know this woman's whole story. I wish I knew this woman's whole story. I can't imagine what happened to her, but we know this much. This is a person who's been hurt and has likely hurt others. She's looked down upon by the people around her. She's been discarded. She's isolated. Needless to say, this is an incredibly broken person with some deep secrets that only Jesus can see. And so I want to ask everyone here, what secrets do you have that only Jesus can see? Now, I'm not judging you because I certainly have them as well. There are things that I've done to myself, I've done to others, things I've failed to do that I would only share with my deepest of confidants, things I would not want getting around the town of Owasso. What's your secret? The first thing that Jesus wants to show us is that no matter our level of brokenness or how messed up we are, no matter what secrets we have hiding inside, no matter what we've done or what's been done to us, everyone is spiritually thirsty. In chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, when we were last in the Gospel, we met a man by the name of Nicodemus. And it's important to understand that this woman's story directly follows the story of Nicodemus for a reason. Because Nicodemus and this Samaritan woman could not possibly be any different. Nicodemus was a Pharisee which meant he belonged to the highest ranks of Jewish society. He was a teacher of teachers. He was a rabbi. He was wealthy. He was prominent. And most importantly, this man was spiritually clean. Nicodemus did his best to do everything that God told the Jewish people to do. And whereas people looked down on the Samaritan woman, they looked up to Nicodemus. And the Pharisees took obedience to God's law so seriously that they followed every single rule that God had ever given to his people. They were so committed to spiritual cleanliness that before they took a drink of water, they would take a strainer and they would strain their cup just to make sure there were no dead bugs in there that would possibly make them unclean. They were so committed to following God's rules that on days like the Sabbath day or feast days when work was not supposed to be done, They wouldn't dare spit on the ground because their spit might mix with the dirt and create mud and they would call that work and then God would be upset with them. That is how seriously they took God's law. Nicodemus boasted that he was clean before God. That is, until Nicodemus encounters Jesus And just like the spiritual brokenness of the Samaritan woman, Nicodemus's spiritual brokenness is revealed as well. Jesus tells him, look, Nicodemus, the only way that you can come near to God, the only way that you can enter God's kingdom, the only way that you'll ever be good enough is if you're born again. And just like the Samaritan woman, Nicodemus is puzzled. He says, what do you mean? Do I have to enter my mother's womb again? That's utterly impossible, Jesus. Jesus wants to show 
both the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus and us, an important thing. The look down upon Samaritan woman needs water that only Jesus can provide. Only Jesus can get this water for her. And Nicodemus needs a new life. He needs to be reborn, and that's something he cannot do for himself. Both things are impossible for each of these individuals. See, an important thing for us to know is that both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman are seeking physical remedies to spiritual problems. The Samaritan woman is trying to fix herself or feel like she's good enough by getting into relationships with men. And Nicodemus is trying to fix himself or make himself feel good enough by chasing perfection. The Samaritan woman is codependent while Nicodemus is self-reliant. The Samaritan woman is full of shame while Nicodemus is full of pride. But both of these individuals are spiritually thirsty on the inside and their remedies are not quenching that thirst. Neither are satisfied. Both are deeply broken and sinful people. The only difference is one seems a little bit more broken than the other. My friends, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or your socioeconomic situation. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you're tall or short, or if you're fat or skinny. It doesn't matter if you're straight or gay or lesbian or something else. Everyone is spiritually thirsty, and we all seek to quench that thirst somehow. You know, I'm a bit of a nerd, as many of you well know. Um, I love trading card games. Uh, my favorite trading card game is Magic the Gathering. And so um, don't, don't burn me at the stake, okay? Let me finish my sermon. You can cry witchcraft later, okay? Um, but I have a lot of cards. I have a lot of trading cards. And um, my wife commented the other day, she said, you know, you probably have like 5,000 cards. And my brain went, those are rookie numbers. We're going to need to pump those up a little bit. You know, but each month um, I take my allowance, and yes, I have allowance because I'm not actually a 34-year-old man. I'm seven. Um, but I buy more cards. It's my hobby. It's what I really like to do. And you might think, well, if you have so many, Jameson, why do you need to keep buying more? Well, some of the things I say to myself are, you know, these ones are cooler. These ones are more powerful. This one's shiny. Well, this one's worth a little bit more. You know, sometimes I get some and I hold on to them for a while and then I can sell them and actually make money on them. I come up with many reasons why I continue to buy these things. But I think truthfully, as I was thinking about this text, I think the reality of my own soul is that I really like the way I feel when I get new things. I really like the way I feel when I get new things. There's a little voice in me that says, you know, this shiny new thing will satisfy that feeling of emptiness inside you, Jameson. And sometimes, sometimes I believe it. Friends, what are you trying to find satisfaction in? What are you looking to, to satisfy your soul? How are you trying to quench the thirst that you and I both know that you have? 
How are you trying to quiet that voice that says this next purchase, this next promotion, this next experience, this next relationship, this next video, the next, the next, the next, the next, the next will satisfy me. And we're all in the same fang field. We all do this. You know, for some, it's the next pair of J's. And for another person, it's the next name brand handbag. For others, it's it's the next boat or quad or jet ski. For others, it's the next house. For, for some, it's the next title or position of power. For others, it's the next meal or the next snack or the next candy bar. And yet for others still, it's a, it's a bottle of wine, it's a pill, it's a syringe, it's a pipe. For some others, it's that next like or the next share on social media. For some of you, it's the next boyfriend or girlfriend or how many times people swipe right on your Tinder profile. Pick your flavor. It's like Baskin Robbins out here. Everybody has a fix. And you might be saying, you know, Pastor Jameson, that's not me. I'm a salt of the earth. I don't have any vices. Let's stop lying to ourselves. You have one, I have one, everyone has one, but ultimately we have a bigger problem. Not only are we seeking satisfaction, but God tells us the things that we seek satisfaction in can't actually satisfy us. Only God can. And that's our second point. Only God can satisfy your spiritual thirst. In the Old Testament, there's a man by the name of King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth, according to Scripture. This man was handsome. He was charismatic. He had monuments and buildings that were dedicated to his glory. This man conquered nations. When he went out to war, countries shook under the bootsteps of his armies. He was so rich, he could afford anything and any pleasure. People would come and they would lay gold and jewels and precious items at his feet just to have a conversation with him. This man had over a thousand concubines and wives. Women were yearning to be a part of his harem. He was a man who quite literally had everything he could ever possibly want with no exception and listen to what he says about his life in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 2 verses 10 through 11 he says, whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasures for my heart found pleasure in all my toil and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done in the toil I had expanded in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You see, most of us think that the reason we're not satisfied is because the things that will satisfy us are somehow outside of our grasp. They're beyond our ability to obtain. You know, I'm a three, she's a ten. I've got $2,000 in the bank, and that's a $500,000 house. I drive a hoopty, and I'll never own a Cadillac. That's what we think. And we buy into the lie that one day something will come along to satisfy us, or one day we can work hard enough to satisfy those longings of our hearts. But here we have a firsthand testimony of a man who quite literally had everything. There was nothing that was outside of his reach. And he says, it was like trying to hold the wind in my hand. It was like grasping for something, and as soon as I grasped it for a moment, it was gone. 
My friends, finding satisfaction in the things of this world is impossible. Do you know why it's impossible? It's impossible because you were not made to be satisfied by anything of this world. You were not made to be satisfied by anything of this world. You were created to be satisfied in God and in God alone and in nothing else. When God created you, he created you with a hole in your soul that can only be satisfied by knowing him. And you want to know something even more devastating than knowing you can't find satisfaction in this world? God tells us that when we seek to be satisfied, to have our thirst quenched by anything in this world other than him, he calls it a sin. And that sin separates us from him. Finding satisfaction in something other than God is something that God calls idolatry. And what it does is it sets that thing that we are so excited about, that we're finding so much joy in, that we can't live without. It sets it above God. And God says, that's breaking the laws of my world. And here's the reason why. What satisfies your soul, you will worship. What satisfies your soul, you will worship. Whether it's money or relationships or substances or experiences, whatever gives you that high and makes you feel significant, that makes you feel good enough, that makes you feel worthy, will become your functional God. You will worship it. It doesn't matter if it's card games or gambling or illicit pictures on the internet. That's what you will worship. And God says one law reigns above all others. It's actually his first commandment. He says this, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a devastating situation we found ourselves in. It creates this downward spiral where we can only be satisfied in God and yet we look to satisfaction in other things which push us further and further away from God and we sin more and more and more and down and down and down we go. The famous author C.S. Lewis, he said this, he says, it's an an ever-increasing desire for an ever-diminishing pleasure. It's an ever-increasing desire for an ever-diminishing pleasure. My friends, trying to be satisfied by things of the world is like drinking salt water. For a moment, you think it's quenched your thirst, but it's really just dehydrating you. And at the end of the day, you're more thirsty than you were when you began. That's what God says. So I want to ask you a question. What's putting distance between you and God? What idol is putting distance between you and God? What are you placing above God? What's taking you further and further down that spiral? What are you believing that will satisfy you but is only ultimately leaving you more thirsty than when you began? You see, this is where Jesus finds this Samaritan woman. And this is where Jesus found Nicodemus. And it's most certainly where Jesus found me. And friend, it will be where Jesus finds you. Jesus finds everyone spiritually thirsty and unable to quench the spiritual thirst that we have. But here is the good news, okay? Here's the good news. Not only can Jesus actually satisfy the longing of our souls, not only can he satisfy that spiritual thirst that belongs in us, but he can satisfy it completely. And this is our final point for the day. With Jesus, we will never be thirsty again. Look at what Jesus tells this Samaritan woman. 
In verse 13, he says, says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the well on the ground. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says that the water of this world isn't going to quench your thirsty soul. Only I can. And if you come to me, you won't be thirsty anymore. Jesus is telling us that if we abandon doing things our way and trying to find satisfaction our way and embrace doing things his way, we'll experience a lasting joy and satisfaction like we've never known before. And how do we do this? My friends, it's not complicated. It's not by being good enough or working hard enough or having the right mindset. It's not through self-help. It's not through any of that. It's actually through surrendering to Jesus and confessing to him, Jesus, I know I can't satisfy myself. I'm ready to do things your way. See, both the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus wanted satisfaction on their terms. The Samaritan woman wanted satisfaction to be found in someone else. Nicodemus wanted satisfaction to be found in himself, in his own self-righteousness. And Jesus is saying, surrender all of that, guys. He's saying, embrace me. Come find new life. Stop chasing these idols that don't satisfy you. Stop running after these functional gods. Stop guzzling salt water, Owasso. That's what he's saying. He's saying, come to me, and I will give you a whole new life. And here's how Jesus did that. On a cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, sacrificed himself for you and for me. See, God hated our sin. He hated our idolatry, but he loved us and he wanted to be reunited with his creation. But because he was holy and we were sinful, there was a divide between us. And someone other than us had to take the punishment that we deserved. And God said that our punishment for our idolatry would be a total separation from him. He would separate us and we would be in hell unless somebody could live the perfect life, free from idolatry, free from false worship, and give themselves to suffer in our place. And that person was Jesus. Jesus died on the cross after living a perfect life. And he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and hell so that you and I would no longer need to be spiritually thirsty, but that God thirst in us could be satisfied by him, that we could live in the presence of God again and receive new life, this new life, this living water that only Jesus can offer. And all he asks is that we confess. We say, yes, God. Yes, Jesus, I know I've worshiped other things. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. And yes, I know I need you to quench my thirst and give me this new life, this living water that I can't get for myself. Then he asks us to commit to learning from him and following him. So we see the consequences of running after things that don't satisfy. It's this endless downward spiral of being separated from God and being unsatisfied in our daily lives. But here's what new life entails. New life entails a forgiveness for all your sins, including your idolatry. 
New life entails adoption into God's family as his very own child. God literally looks on the person who runs to him and says, that is my son, that is my daughter now. You're no longer an adulteress at a well. You're my own daughter coming to drink from the well of God. It entails righteousness, which means a right standing before God that we stand blameless before God in Christ and not because of what we've done or working hard enough, but because of Jesus's faithfulness. It entails joy in knowing that you are loved despite falling and failing every day. It entails hope in a life lived with God and the promises of being in heaven with him. It entails an end to law keeping or trying to be good enough like Nicodemus and chasing perfection. It entails an end to seeking things that could never satisfy like the woman at the well. It entails belonging to a family to share your struggles. Hey, guess what happens when you run to Jesus? You don't run the race alone anymore, but you run with others who know exactly what it feels like to run after something that doesn't satisfy and it tells purpose and helping others find freedom from sin. And most importantly, it entails an unlimited daily access to God whom you were once separated from. My friends, Jesus can offer us endless satisfaction because unlike the world who offers us things that fade, Jesus is, he offers himself to us. He offers us himself and he's God, he never fails, he never fades, he never runs out, he's inexhaustible. He has an infinite amount of satisfaction to give you. He has blessing upon blessing upon blessing in his presence. Jesus is the only well that never runs dry. You know, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you're saying, Pastor Jameson, I just need to lay down my idols. And I need to run back to the well. Brother and sister, do it. Run back to the well. Jesus is there. He's waiting to satisfy your thirst and heal what ails you. He's waiting there saying, I was here with satisfaction all along. Come and drink and be satisfied in my presence. You know, and if you've never surrendered your life to Christ... If you never even thought about it before today, my friend, today can be the day of your liberation. All you have to do is ask him to save you and to give you a new life. And he promises to accept you. Not because your life is good enough, but because he's good enough and he will cover you with his love. We started with this question, where can I find lasting satisfaction? My friends, lasting satisfaction can only be found at the well that is Jesus Christ and nowhere else. And Jesus is inviting all of us to drink deep and find satisfaction in him. And so my question to you as we close is, will you come? Will you come to the well of God and drink deep with the satisfaction that only Jesus has? Will you cast off your idols and say, I've known all along this thing wouldn't satisfy me. Jesus, come and satisfy my soul. Will you stop drinking salt water? Will you stop chasing wind? Will you come to this well that never runs dry? And if you're someone who wants to start finding true life and be satisfied in Jesus, you can cry out to him today. I want to encourage you. If someone invited you here today, 
and there's a pulling in your heart that says, I want that satisfaction, I want you to go to that person who invited you and say, tell me about Jesus and tell me how I can have life in him and tell me I can have forgiveness for my sins. My friends, if you're tired of going back to the well over and over and over and over again, run to the well that is Christ and find satisfaction there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you. Lord, we're so incredibly thankful for what you've done in our lives. Lord, we're thankful for this day that you've made. Lord, we're thankful for this weather. We're thankful for preaching. Lord, we're thankful for musicianship. We're thankful for food. We're thankful for electronics, God. But Lord, we ultimately know that these are just things that fade, that God, only you reign forever. And so my prayer is the the prayer of Psalm 90, verse 14, that says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Lord, make us a glad people. Lord, make us people who are so satisfied in you that when people look on your church, they say, they must have a treasure that is beyond worth. Lord, make us so satisfied in you that the city of Owasso would come and say, I must have what those people have. And Lord, help us to show them the well. Lord, help us to show our city that it doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter. Jesus is calling all of them to the well to drink and be satisfied. Because God, I know when our gladness rises up, our city will see. So Lord, let gladness rise in us and satisfy our ever thirsty hearts, Lord, with your presence and with your love. We bless you in Jesus' name, amen.